It's time. I want to hear what Peter King of Sports Illustrated and NBC has to say about the Cam Chancellor decision. It was kind of like, Peter, I've used the analogy a million and one times. Let's make it a million and two. It was kind of like the Forrest Gump run. Remember the Forrest Gump run? Yep. He just decided to stop, Forrest did, and Cam well, just decided the, to come in. The the slight difference there is, I mean, this is really a multifaceted story. And look, I, I just, you know, and far be it from me, I'm not Cam Chancellor. I know him a little bit. I certainly don't know him well. We've talked several times, but, uh, you know, this was doomed to failure from the start. You know, there's three reasons. Number one, Paul Allen has John Schneider's back in a big way. Paul Allen is a, is a probably a more active owner than than any of us know. Uh, you know, the the Seahawks are really good now, uh, and he wants. I mean, he's the owner. He signs the checks. He wants to be involved. Now he's not involved publicly at all. And he's not involved hourly or anything like that, but he basically is is active in deciding things like Russell Wilson and what a hard line we should take there and Cam Chancellor and all these other things. So it's, you know, when look, John Schneider knows that when he uh, sets out and gets in a bit of a contest of wills with one of the best players in the league, uh, that the team is usually not going to end up looking good. Um, but, Mitch, I, I, I find it – remember the story two or three weeks ago was that uh, he, he that Cam wanted uh, $4 million put from two, 2017 to 2016, and the Seahawks were supposedly at $3.1 million. Neither are you, I mean, Neither you nor I believe that at the time, although that was, was, that was supposed to be Cam's words to the NFL Network's guy, right? Yeah, well, all I'm saying is that, is that, you know, that story, to me, exacerbated this a little bit because it got everybody to say, well, gee, Seattle, why don't you just meet him halfway if you're willing to go 3.1? Right. But now it's obvious, it's obvious that the Seahawks never offered him a dime, you know, to come in. And I think that, to me, is really uh, part of this story, that I don't know how that story got out, really, and I don't know whether it was an agent-driven or cam-driven. I, I, I don't know. But all I know is that whenever you're in ugly holdouts slash negotiations, anything like that, you really have to be careful what you're told. And uh, and you know who you're, uh, what side of the story you're going to buy. But clearly, you know Albert Breer wrote this week at NFL.com that that absolutely nothing was done to the contract. Well, I mean, wouldn't it stand to reason that that if if uh, if if that story was true, then three point one million dollars at least would have been pushed from two thousand seventeen yes. into sixteen. Yes. So obviously, yes. Obviously, there was never an offer yes. from the team to Cam Chancellor, and they basically just said, "Listen, you have to come in and play by your contract. We're not doing anything." And what I'm saying is that this was really kind of a team effort. I think Pete Carroll totally agreed with it. Schneider certainly agreed with it. And Paul Allen agreed with it. So no matter what was said on the outside, if you're in agreement in your triumvirate at the top of the organization, 
uh, you're going to be willing to go the whole year without Cam Chancellor. And I think once he realized that, he said, hey, look, this is $270,000 a week I'll never get back. So what now? Uh, he comes in uh, tail between legs. Does he have uh, ill will towards the organization? Does that put a strain on a relationship? What What now, Peter, between I'm legs? I'm sure he's got to feel uh, – He's got to feel like uh, that that he uh, that the team did him wrong, and that uh, he didn't get a market contract to begin with. Even though for strong safeties, his contract really holds up very well. Um, and 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 look, I think in now you're you know what the logical thing would be is to say that okay, play this year, and at the end of this year we may talk about doing something cosmetic to the contract. If it was any anything more than that, Mitch, I'd be surprised. Hmm. Would you play him this week? Uh, I don't know what kind of shape he's in. If he's in really good shape, I don't see why not. But, you know, you know and I know, and you're looking at this and saying, you know, look, the Bears are a total wounded animal right now. You can probably run Marshawn Lynch on him and get 150 yards on the ground and just play clock ball and not really have to – have your defense be a huge factor in the game. But then on the other hand, Pete Carroll always preaches that, you know, I don't care if we're playing St. Mary's Day School. Um, you know, whoever is healthy enough to play is going to play. Mm-hmm. And so I think if he's healthy, Pete's going to play him, you know, whatever the uh, – and, and if he's in shape and, and, uh, and, and you know, he's ready to go. I'm sure Pete is probably going to play him this weekend. Peter King is with us each and every Friday on a football Friday. At this time, Hugh Millen is next with his keys to the Bears-Seahawks game. Before we get off to the, the future of the NFL and some of these other things going on in the NFL, let me ask you to put your, uh, your memory cap on and just tell me your impressions of the fight that the Seahawks gave the Packers on Sunday night. There was a stage there in the third quarter where the, the Seahawks had weathered the storm of uh, Lambeau Field in Green Bay and actually led the game 17-13. It didn't work out. Uh, what, what's your takeaway from the Packers-Seahawks game? Um, well, in general, Mitch, I think that the first two games of this season, other than the number of points that were scored in week one, went about the way anybody would expect, especially without Cam Chancellor. Um, you know, these were the toughest two games on Seattle's schedule. The reason that I would not be in Panic City, and I wrote this the other day in my MMQB column, that just imagine if the schedule had been turned around. Imagine if it was Detroit and Chicago in the first two weeks, and it was at home, and then it was at St. Louis at Green Bay. Well, then after four games, in my my opinion anyway, Seattle would be two and two, and nobody would be very panicky. Um, and you know, and certainly at some point in that four-week period, you would get Cam Chancellor back. But I, the only worrisome thing, at least in my opinion right now, is that they haven't really incorporated Jimmy Graham uh, into the offense. You know, for him to have seven catches and ten targets after two games, it's just it's way, way off. I mean, he should be getting eight to ten targets minimum every game. And especially, especially with the line struggling as it is, um, you know, when your line is struggling that much, to me, this is where you use the post-up Jimmy Graham, where he becomes, 
you know, you're Nate Thurman, you're Wilt Chamberlain, you're, you're, you're Moses Malone, you know, and I'm dating myself, that, you know, hey, run down eight yards, turn around, and I'm going to throw the ball at your head so that nobody else can get it but you. And it's second and two, and all of a sudden, all the possibilities in the world are opened up for that offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why Daryl Bevel hasn't done it yet, and I think that they need to start doing more of that. Mm. Uh, one of the little subplots to come out of the game was uh, Aaron Rodgers' God quip at the end. I'm sure you know about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I guess uh, Russell said yesterday, I'm so grateful. I know one of the things my parents always taught me is just to continue to remain humble in your victories and in your losses. A little uh, a little shot back at Aaron Rodgers. What do you know of Aaron Rodgers personally? That's a, did that surprise you, a little shot across the bow at, at Russell Wilson? Uh, it didn't surprise me, but... I didn't think it was, I mean, if, and again, I'm assuming that it is a shot at Wilson because Aaron Rodgers is not a guy who's a real public God guy. He's a religious person uh, from all accounts. Um, I've never spoken to him about it, uh, but he is, um, he is not one of these guys who, you know, basically says, I want to thank the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this victory today. Um, so it did surprise or it didn't surprise me because if you look at Rodgers over the years sometimes something that you assume well that's a year old or that's 2 years old Rodgers will suddenly bring it up just like this thing right here mm-hmm. um i i think that he basically and i'm not even saying he was motivated by this thing he just has a long memory for things that he wants to sort of Either I don't want to even say get even with, but he has a long memory for things that he feels he wants to make a comment on or say something about, and I think that's where this came from. I mean, when I say it didn't surprise me, I just thought, look, I, I'm not one of those people who say, I'm not one of those people who very often any will, will comment on religion just because, A, it's a total slippery slope, B, none of us, know what's inside the other person's head. And honestly, I, I'm convinced after spending some decent amount of, a decent amount of time with Russell Wilson that he is convinced that God is pulling the strings on his life. So who am I to say you're, you're full of it or whatever? I, I, who am I to say that some guy who's an atheist is wrong? Mm-hmm. So I just usually let all that stuff go, and it goes in one but ear Aaron, and out the other. But Aaron Rodgers didn't let it go. No, he didn't. No. But again, that's what Aaron Rodgers, okay. a lot of times Aaron Rodgers does things like that, is okay. what I'm saying. Okay. He'll remember things. He'll keep it in a memory bank for a long time. And then when he can say something about it, you know, something very subtle, he'll say it. Here's the Mitch Levy. Want the Mitch Levy NFL stat of the week that you you can that you can steal as your own. Can I steal the, this and not can, attribute it to you? Yet, I love doing I don't, that. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want any. I don't want any uh, ownership attribution. No attribution. Yeah. Okay. okay go here, ahead. Here's my stat of the week. I'm going to mention six teams: the Baltimore Ravens, the Houston Texans, the Indianapolis Colts, the Philadelphia Eagles the Detroit Lions, and the Seattle Seahawks. Last year, those three, those six teams combined to be 63-33, and 33, 30 games over 500, and a 656 win percentage in 2014, those six teams. What is the combined aggregate record of those six teams as we sit here today, Peter King? 0-12. Oh 0-12. Oh 
Yeah. Ama- amazing stuff. One of those teams is the the Eagles. And the Eagles, I look at the Eagles and the we'll talk about the Colts too. I watched the Eagles Cowboy uh the Eagles Cowboys game the other day and and I, I don't know whether I was more stunned by the Eagles inept offense or the look on Chip Kelly's face every time they panned over to him on Fox. He looked like he was a, a man with no answers like he was considering right. what is next college you know football. Why, you job. know why he's got you know why he's got no answers right now? I think there's two reasons. Number 1, he is shocked at how bad his offensive line is. That's number 1. Uh, you know, people blaming DeMarco Murray. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's a great stat. I think it was ESPN had a stat that he was contacted on an average of 1.7 yards behind the line of scrimmage uh, on his however many runs he had the other day. Mm-hmm. And so, look, I don't care. You could be Jim Brown, and you're not going to gain a lot of yardage doing that way, uh, you know, getting hit like that. And I think the other thing is, and I noticed this against Dallas. Mitch, if you watch Sam Bradford very carefully, I think Sam Bradford is still getting used to getting hit again. Now, what would happen if you were Sam Bradford in two years ago, uh, after in the seventh game of the season, some guy dived at you and caved in your left knee mm-hmm. and you're out for the year. Mm-hmm. Then the next year in training camp, okay, uh, or in a preseason game in August, some guy dives at your knee, hits your knee, caves it in, and you're out for the year. So now you have totally screwed up two years. And if you're Sam Bradford, wouldn't it be human when you have a lot of traffic around you that you're getting kind of nervous and you're, you know, you're, you're getting a little shaky? And that, honestly, I'm not saying he's a, you know, he's a punch-drunk fighter now or anything like that. But what I am saying is I've noticed that he's, against Dallas anyway, he's very uneasy in the pocket. And he's got to get over that. He just has to get over that. If he doesn't, he's always going to be making decisions before he has to make them. And that's what led to his interception in the end zone the other day to Sean Lee. So you simply, you know, if I'm Chip Kelly... That this is the kind of thing. I mean, quite honestly, if you keep seeing that, you got to play Mark Sanchez, because you're much better off playing a guy who doesn't care if he gets ear. Well, he cares, but who's not going to be not going to go be shy about being earholed. Right. And and again and again, look, this is me. This is anecdotal evidence. Just watching most of that Dallas game last week, that I thought he made decisions way too fast, and I think he has to hang in there and make sure that he sees all of his options. That is a huge factor. And they go play the Jets this weekend, and the Jets are, are fantastic right now. You saw it uh, the other night. Jets are great rushing the pass. They are. I was going to say, are we sure the Eagles uh, or the Colts are going to get off the schneid in either New York or Tennessee? I mean, Tennessee gets a chance to play at home. for the Marcus Mariota makes his home debut yeah. on Sunday. I'm worried for both the Colts and the Eagles. I think it's a tough game for both of them. I think Indy's going to win. Uh, somehow, someway, I think Philadelphia is going to find a way to win. Now, you noticed that Darrell Revis uh, hasn't practiced this week. Uh, he's got a groin injury. And uh, I think the groin is a rather important uh, important region for corners who have to turn and run. Uh-huh. So I don't even know if he's going to play. But 
Uh, if he plays, that'll certainly be an advantage uh, to the Eagles to not have Darrell Revis at 100%. But I just got to figure somehow, some way, the Eagles get off this week and beat the Jets. Okay. And no chance the Bears are going to beat the Seahawks in Seattle, right? I mean, I, I, that, that would be – I'm serious. It would be the upset of the year. It just – there there wouldn't be – with the Seahawks needing the win so badly uh, and the Bears being so generous on defense, I just – I can't imagine. I think this – it depends. I mean, if if, if Daryl Bevel wants this to be a gigantic game for Marshawn Lynch in the running game, I think it can be. Yeah. Well, I think he should want it to be a gigantic game for Jimmy Graham just so that cooler heads prevail this week. Peter, thank you. Talk to you next Friday. Have a great week. Thanks a lot, Mitch. All right. There he is, Peter King, each and every Friday. A football Friday presented by Bud Light.